I don't know how you feel going into um, a new year. Maybe there's some, there, there, there's always, right? I mean, there's endless memes and discussions about like turning over a new leaf or whatever. Uh, whether it's a good idea to do New Year's resolutions, um, all of the standard jokes, should you make New Year's resolutions and then not keep them or just not bother making the resolutions or what, you know, the standards. Um, and there can be kind of the feeling of something fresh or, okay, new beginning. Um, I don't know, probably each one of us process that out a little bit differently. Um, I have noticed a bit of a what do you say? I don't know. Just a little bit of a change about how things like that hit me across the progression of my life as I think about it a bit. Um, my wife came across a quote somewhere. I don't remember where. You'd have to ask her. Um, but something about there's no one so empowered and so omnipotent as a 10-year-old boy. And um, it sounds funny. In fact, I, I asked my AI chat bot about that, and my AI chat bot was like, no, stupid idea. I was like, okay, whatever. But it, the, the notion of it, actually, there's sort of something in this, which is I, I don't know that you ever feel like the world is in your pocket so much as when you're right around that period of life. And I can remember this. I mean, around whatever, 10, 11, 12 man, I was going to build submarines and airplanes and helicopters and ships, and we were going we to figure out superconductors, and we were going to, like, do it all. Um, so n none of those things have panned out for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have yet to build a single submarine, which is extremely disappointing. Um, and, you know, there can be sort of a sense as you recognize your limits across time, and as you just kind of become aware of your finitude, you're like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to accomplish all those things or check all those boxes. 2023, it's an entire year. Yeah, but the more years go by, kind of the more sense you have of what can be done and accomplished in a year. A lot, but not everything. And you can, can enter into a new year with a little bit also of, I don't know, uh, uncertainty foreboding. <laughs> because the open black box of a year, like a lot can happen in a year. And if I, you know, just if I think back to the beginning of 2022 to now, it's like a ton of stuff changed in my life in that year. A lot can happen in a year. And so it can, it really can. You can sit there and go like, <gasps> January 1st, 2024, what am I going to be thinking about? How's that for a demotivator to start you off on the year? <laughs> Welcome to 2023. Um, okay, so let's say you're, having, you're like going through those sort of thoughts, and uh, someone comes up to you at some point, and they're like, I have a solution for your fears. I have a solution for your sense of finitude limitations. Let me help you out. And you're like, okay, go ahead. Hit me. Uh, all right, here it is. Be strong. And don't be afraid. Thanks. Right? I mean, this is not exactly like a therapist that gives that to you as your solution. Kind of like, yes, that's where I would like to be. Now tell me, <laughs> right? That's where we'd all like to be. Tell me how to get there. Um, just the, the, the injunction to just not be afraid or to just not be weak does not a problem make. All right, what? How do I say it? Does not a solution make. There we go. Got that. 
Um, and the irony is that that is actually what I'm going to ask you to look at with me this morning. I'd like to ask you to look with me at Deuteronomy 31. We're going to follow through a, a pattern that essentially does what I just said. In the face of the unknown, at which you could naturally and reasonably be afraid. In the face of the overwhelming, the, 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 the tasks that are so big and so daunting that you feel like you could never overcome. In the face of such challenges, we're going to look at a pattern that God says, be strong, be courageous. And it can leave you with a little bit of a head scratch. Well, okay, I understand that's what I need. Get me there. And in our discussion this morning, I want to try to help us recognize that he is getting us there. Deuteronomy 31, and I'm going to start um, reading just a little bit before the passage we will look at. I'll start reading in verse 1, Deuteronomy 31. We'll kind of scan our way down. But Moses is speaking these words, you'll notice, verse 1, to all Israel. He said to them, I'm 121 years old today. Okay, so at 40 at times, I look back and feel like, <sighs> all right, but Moses has done three of those, right? So, I mean, yeah, 120 years of just wandering through the wilderness, a lot of exhaustion. I am no longer able to go out and come in. I'm done. <laughs> the Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this, Jordan. I, I, I can't accompany you into this challenge, so here's your answer since I can't go a step further with you. The Lord your God himself will go before you. He will destroy these nations. You will dispossess them. Joshua will go over, your, over as your head, as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you. You shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Moses summoned Joshua, said to him in sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. You will go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn, sworn to their fathers to give them. You shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, you may already have read that and recognized a little bit of an echo here. I said earlier, it's a pattern. If you notice some of the language in there, it already sounds like, have you, have you thought this? Joshua 1, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid. The Lord, will, your God, will give you good success. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. We're headed there. So I'm just going to point out, first of all, that this is a bit of a pattern, and I'm not going to comment on everything in this passage, because we're going to go to the Joshua passage, we're going to go to later passages. It's a thread. It goes multiple times through Scripture. I'm just going to call out a couple of things. And I could call out along the way, you recognize the, the, the antithesis, the opposite of being strong and courageous is given to us right in the passage. Verse 6 said it. Do not fear or be in dread. Verse 8 said it again. Uh, do not fear or be dismayed. Actually, you're going to get it again in verse 12 and 13. In other words, there's the, the, the way it's set up is not just a positive command, but it's a positive command with the opposite as well. Be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, do not be dismayed. Okay, so they're set up like an attention on both sides. Hold that thought. 
You can also notice the thought in verse 5 that part of the guidance for this is that you would do to them according to the whole commandment that I have given you or that I have commanded you. In other words, it's, it's not just sort of a, um, a wide open, go out there, be strong and courageous, kind, kind of like an explosive bomb or something. Boom. I mean, an undirected energy, undirected force. But it's a very, very directed force. Be strong and courageous in this specific framework. I've given you commands. Go do those commands. Right? No particular congratulations for just getting out there and being strong and blowing things up. Be strong in the ways that I have told you to do them. Hold that thought too, because we'll come back to that. Here's what I'm going to focus on, however, in this passage. And I would, I would just like to observe that the, the power, the strength, the courage, that, that whole notion, be strong and courageous, is not connected here to individual persons. It, it, it's not a power and um, an enablement that comes because you've got Moses or even because you've got Joshua. And what I mean by that is that there, there, are, there are times, I think, when... Um, well, there's a kind of a a rife problem of a a celebrity view of certain, we could even say preachers, leaders, politicians, whatever, I don't know. But the notion that if we had so-and-so, celebrity pastor, celebrity theologian, celebrity whoever, if you had that guy, then we'd be okay. Uh, This is a longer discussion, but there's a whole view of history called the great man theory or the great man framework for for how you're doing history. And the assumption of it is that, you know, the ones who really set the pathway for history are the Churchills, Um, the great, great, you know, whoever, Alexander the Great, the the people who turn the entire tide of history. Um, I mean, not wrong, not incorrect. And yet we recognize that history kind of has its own flow, a flow of its own. There's a version of that that comes across, and it can be tempting to think that where the work of the ministry gets done, where the work of God goes forward, where we're going to see progress in the big picture of things, it's all the stuff that's like big and glitzy. It's, it's, the, it's the big organizations or the well-known names. I mean, I, I could probably throw out a list of five or ten names in evangelicalism that like 90% of us would know. And you've got people that are very well recognized and very much used by God. Amen. Grateful for them. But that's not where the work of God ultimately moves forward. That's not what it's ultimately about. And I know this because, I mean, can I come up with a more effective example of a leader or minister? I've got Moses and Joshua here. And here's just fact. Moses has come to the end of his life, and he's reached his limits. (laughs) What, what, What theory here? What do you think? What if it's possible that God even set up the world in such a way that we can't attach ourselves and all of our hopes to a single individual? Because guess what? It's always reshuffling. You can't. In fact, you could go back from here and remember that Moses himself started off rather inauspiciously. Way back in chapter 3, Moses says, Who am I that I should bring Israel out of Egypt? 
Egypt. And God's answer was, here's your solution for that problem. I will be with you. And I have that right here in the passage itself. Go, r- just run down through, and I would like you to notice, or maybe it already stuck out to you as you went, who is the actor all the way through the passage? Verse 3, the Lord himself will go over before you. He will destroy these people. Verse 4, the Lord will do to them. And verse 5, the Lord will give them over to you. Verse 6, it is the Lord your God who goes with you. And that that framework, it is the Lord, again, verse 8, it is the Lord who goes before you, he will be with you, he will not leave you or forsake you. I mean, all of that framework, it's ultimately the Lord that stands behind all of this. Here, let 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 me tell you how the work of God moves forward. Let me tell you how the good stuff happens. The good stuff happens by the power of our omnipotent God. And, and, it, and it's definitively not the efforts of a certain set of individuals, organizations, or whatever else. It's him. If we're going to talk about this as his work, then it better be his work. It's his. With the Lord, then you have everything. Without the Lord, you're completely, you're completely gone. It's completely pointless. The pattern of this stretches further. You can find this in the Psalms, twice in Psalm 46. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Psalm 24, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, what, what, would we, what hope would we have had? You can go further back. It's actually an older pattern with the patriarchs. Abimelech saw that God was with Abraham in everything he did. The same pattern gets repeated with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And there's always this association. God was with them, and so they were blessed. If you go to Exodus, it takes the form of my people. Israel is my people. You get a little further, and you go out into numbers where the the nation failed to enter into the land. God told them, go in, and so they they refused. And now God said, okay, now you're going to wander in the wilderness, and the irony of it, and just... It's one of those passages that makes you laugh and cry at the same time. As soon as God said, okay, if you won't go in, then you're going to be judged. Then they're, oh, oh, okay, okay, we'll go in. And they tried to go in by themselves, Numbers 14. But the the problem was that the Lord was not with them. So they go in by themselves. Same people. Like just a little bit before God was saying, go in and I'll give you victory. Same people try to go in without him and they're completely destroyed. It's this idea, with the Lord, you can. Without the Lord, you're toast. That framework. And you keep on going later in Israel's history, you're going to see language where Cyrus calls the people to go up, rebuild the temple. And it's really interesting, out of his tongue, may the Lord his God be with him as they go up to build the temple. What does this even mean then to have the Lord with you? It's kind of the concept of like the Lord is on your side or the Lord is at your right hand. Uh, Probably the most like obvious or or familiar contemporary expression of this would be, you know, like the, the footprints in the sand poem. And so the Lord is walking together with you. I mean, it's like you have him together with you. He is on your side. It's not as simple, though, as you read across the Old Testament. It's not as simple as just being Jewish means that the Lord is on your side. It's not that easy because, I mean, you can see right within some of the, the, the historical examples I just gave, you had times when Jewish people thought the Lord was on their side and he wasn't. 
or to bring it into our world, it's not as simple as just wearing the label Christian and attending a good church. Right? It's not just something you can plaster on like a name tag. And so I'm on his team. I'm on the good guy's team now. And therefore, whatever I do, he's, he's got my back. It's not that simple. There are going to be some criteria. Remember my concept? There's not un, it's not just undirected power, but it's, under, it's directed power to a specific purpose. I'll come back to that. But I would like to raise a, a quick question first. And... Um, it is the problem of, actually, the, the problem of the Old Testament is that the question that the Old Testament raises, and, and it leaves you, at the end of it, still scratching your head, which is just this basic concept. How can a holy God dwell with people like this anyway? I mean, if, 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 if you already had kind of a thought in the back of your head, like, God with me, God on my team, as though... God, God would attach his name and his reputation to you. You know yourself. I know myself. And the notion that God would attach himself to me, ah, bleh, wow. Right? So, I mean, that, there's a question that the Old Testament raises, which is, how can a God who is so righteous and so holy, who cannot even look at sin, how can he possibly connect himself or attach himself or attach his reputation to say, I am with them, I go with them, I enable them in the tasks that they pursue? Wow. And I'm going to leave that question open because the answer to that question is going to come around at the end of our discussion. But I just want to apply the concept. So the concept we've, we've gone over in this initial passage is the, the notion of if I have God with me, I can do whatever he intends for me to do. If I don't, I'm out. And I'd like to just, I'd like to just push on that a little bit in application here. Don't try to enter this next year alone. I don't know. You know I, maybe you are a um, New Year's resolutions person. Great. Great if you are. And maybe you've got a list of five, six, eight things or whatever that you'd like to do. Um, here, I, I, have a, I, have, I have a revolutionary notion for you. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to meddle in your life a little bit. I don't think your New Year's, revol, revol, your New Year's resolutions should be formed without God being part of the data point, the consideration. You're going to form up that page or that this is what I want to do. This is how I want this next year to work. Oh, yeah, yeah, God. Okay, let's get him in there. In fact, I, I don't, it's not just that I think you ought to include God into the process, but I think God ought to be central to the process. I think he ought to define the process. Not just like as a thing you tack on, kind of ancillary. But at the center of the process, and, and another way of saying that is, don't go into this year with God at the side. You go into this year with God with you, God at the center of the process. You enter into this year with God at the center, and yes, this year will be right. You enter into it with him as ancillary or just sort of additive in order to help you achieve your full potential, whatever that means. Just to help you get where you want to go and God's going to be the thing you tack on. Like he'll be, he'll be a method that helps you be 
better at getting to what you already know you want. Enter into the year, and I can tell you, doomed, I mean, promise, doomed failure. Doomed failure in this sense. You might achieve those goals that you set out for yourself without God as a consideration. You might achieve them all, and they would be the wrong goals. (laughs) Because God has to set what this next year is going to be for you. This has a particular sting for our own uh, cultural frameworks. I said earlier, I, I pushed a little bit earlier on the idea of don't think of Christianity as defined by the great figures or the great individuals. That's where it's all happening. No, no, that's not it. See, but we can flip this around the other direction in a very um, individualistic framework that we would tend to bring to things. You can say, yeah, okay, good, good. I'm not going to listen to any of those guys. I'll go for myself, decide for myself, find my way by myself. I'm just going (laughs) to push back on that and say, you're just another one. You just want, like, just, just to say, I found, you know, I did it my way. You're just a human, too. And so the notion of, like, nope, not going to listen to anyone else, I'll just, I'll just find my own way and figure it out, is only replacing one human with another human. Like, one human, the other human, all just humans. And, and the only antidote to both of those, don't place your faith in the whoever Don't place your faith in you. Because I don't trust me either. I'm not a great judge either. You've got to enter into this year, and and if it's going to be defined in these kinds of biblical terms, the the way it's going to have to be defined, God with us. God setting the standard. God setting the plans. And that moves me into the next passage. So if you look with me at Joshua. We're going to move now to Joshua, which I think has strong echoes of the passage that we've just read. Joshua 1 is now set after the death of Moses. God is now speaking to Joshua. God is reviewing some of these same intentions or some of these same purposes. Moses, verse 3, or verse 2, Moses is dead. And so he says, go, arise, go over this Jordan, enter into the land. And it's, it's, I mean, God's remit for them or, or his intentions for them, verse 4, it's really wide from the wilderness and Lebanon as far as the great river, Euphrates, the Hittites, the great sea, the going down of this. It's huge. It's huge territory. No man shall be able to stand before you, verse 5, all the days of your life just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Hopefully that now connects or links. We just, that was what we just emphasized in the last passage. I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I mean, it's God's presence that gives the assurance. It's a kind of the, uh, the collateral, the final, the final appeal, the absolute bedrock security. God is there. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous. You will cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, 
but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this actually continues on. It comes up again in verse 18. It comes up again in chapter 10. It's a bit of a thread also that extends further than even just the passage I read. You can see again the theme that I just highlighted, the notion of God with us. It's in verse 5, it's in verse 9, it's in verse 17. You have also that warning not to fear that we saw a little bit earlier. So strong and courageous is the antithesis to fearing or being being afraid or stepping back. What I'd like to highlight in this passage, and I think is major, it's a motif that gets fronted in this passage, is watch for the pattern of God's law, God's instructions, and the necessity of obeying those things. So uh, let me just highlight as you, as you go down. I mean, you, you get very clearly verse 7. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses commanded. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Verse 8, this book of the law will not depart out of your mouth. You will meditate on it day and night. Do according, be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And you can just keep on going down through. I mean, you'll, you'll get it again in verse uh, 16 through 18. All that we ha- you have commanded us, we will do as we have obeyed Moses. We will obey you. Um, the notion of the, the, the way that you're going to be strong and courageous Remember the metaphor again. It's not just an undirected strength. It's an, you know, I'm just strong. Strong to do what? I don't know. I haven't figured that one out yet, but I'm strong. But it's strong for a particular and narrowed focus purpose. Strong to do that. I, I mean, right? Strength is, is, is useless. If what I mean by strength is, you know, watch this. I can run through the room and I can, look how far I can throw a chair across the room. Cool. That that did not help anybody. Good for you. You can break things. I'm impressed. But it's the strength to be able to accomplish a specific intention and a purpose. And it's even, the language of verse 7 and 8, it's even a carefulness to do something. I mean, it's, it's, it's taking the time and the attention, um, intentionally thinking through, what is it that I'm going to do here? not like run into the to-do list, boom, I'm going to blow it open. But here's the set of things I must accomplish. I'm going to focus my energies in on those things, that kind of idea. See, but the, the one who's setting the agenda for that is the one who gave the book of the law, the one who gave commandments. It, it's really not an amorphous, undefined, yeah, you know, try to, try to be a good, good guy. It's, it's defined. Here, God has written his word. It's specific. It's tangible. It's measurable. It's, it can be stated in propositional form. And you even have warnings like, do not turn, verse 7, do not turn to the right hand or to the left. Here, the metaphor of a path. And it, it's like, it, God has said, this is what I've told you to do. And you, you, you can't, in either direction of the spectrum, like, get off base going too far that way, get off base going too far that way. Um, it's not really like, a, I'll overachieve and I'll do even more or better than he gave me to do. It's like this. Like, do that. 
Like, okay, but, you know, we tweak a, that. You know, but what about it, th that? Very, very defined. This is what I've given you to do. Um, can I just note here how very different that is as a framework from the way that we would, we, we can popularly tend to think of rules. Like, <laughs> the word rules is just an inherently bad word. Rules. <coughs> Immediately, right? Um, because the, the, the contrary side to it, the word that we, we like, yay, cheer, is freedom. So, you know, freedom from rules, great. And, and how about a framework instead that recognizes that I could really use some guidance? I mean, this is an old, old idea, even outside of biblical thought, and it's richest within biblical thought. How about God's law, God's guidance uh, on the metaphor of a path? And, and God has set out a pathway for you, and he will guide you through it. So that instead of imagining rules, something like, um, you know, here's a playground. Ah, there's a fence around it. Oh, this looks really fun. I mean, that, that would be great to explore. Oh, there's a fence around that. All the fun stuff has fences around it. God gives us rules to keep us out of the, the delightful parts of life. What, what if instead the metaphor that we recognize for God's laws, commandments, rules, would be the, the metaphor of a minefield or toxic pits on every side, right? And, 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 and the temptation as you're walking through, like, don't know where to go. And then you look, and there's a path, and there's a fence, and, like, you can jump into the toxic waste dump if you want. It's, right, like, right there. All you have to do is climb over the fence that we refer to as God's law. And then you can just jump and swim in the toxic waste dump as much as you want. It's right there for your enjoyment. No, God gives us guidance. He gives us a path. And, and I'd like to note here that God expects detailed obedience Verse 8, you will meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. I mean, do you hear the, the all and the meditating constantly? I mean, this, this is the person who's not just like, ah, da, 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 da. if I bump into a, a fence, then I guess I'll know I went wrong. This is the person who sits there and thinks, all right, I think I'm following what he would intend for me to do. But let me give it a little more thought. I, in fact, let me go back and read it again. Let me study it. Like, let me make this part of my lifestyle that I go to God's words because I crave his guidance. It's not just like I, I follow the rules so that he doesn't with me with, with a lightning bolt or something. But if I can pull it off and kind of dally around a little bit in the toxic waste dump, that'd be nice. And hopefully he didn't see me and I can get back on the path. I mean, it's no, it's a person who says I, de I desperately want to stay on the path. I desperately want to know his guidance. And, and, and the recognition that God expects detailed <laughs> obedience. It's not like a make it up as you go along game. Like, life is not like, a, it, it's not like a, a creative opportunity to play it however you want. But it really is God giving us distinct guidance. The maker of the universe might know how the universe works and he might be good at helping you find your way. Just remove the mites. There is a strong emphasis in the passage here on success or prosper. That's why this, that's how this passage made it into the greeting card industry. Um, the success and prosper business. We're like, yay, success, prosper. Um, so we're, 
great. Lots of, you know, lots of graphic layouts of this to put up on your, our walls and stuff like that. Because we're all just delighted about success and prospering. Um, and I, the reason that that doesn't go down so well, or that I think that's a bad reading of the passage, is because our assumption for that is that we're defining success and prospering. In other words, the way we're processing that out is something like you'll get the promotion, you'll get ahead, you'll get the new car, you'll get the big house, or whatever. Or just even, I don't, it, it doesn't have to be that exotic, but just, you know, we, we like that one, like, that you avoid pain or catastrophe. Hey, well, th- let's make this really nice and domestic. Your family will all be happy, your wife will think you're the best, and your kids will love you. We'd be happy for any of those. And we're defining the notion of success, whereas it would help us go back to the passage, look through, and it's very specific. The notion of success within the passage is taking the land. The notion of success in the passage is doing what God intends to accomplish his purposes. If I brought that framework into the contemporary, the present, the me and you framework for this would be God calls us to step forward with bold confidence to pursue divine purposes, God defining the success. And that success would be the wonderful, wonderful works of God that are happening in, or that happened in 2022 and that are going to happen in 2023. Taking the land for Joshua, you and I step forward, speaking the word, living it out, walking with God, serving within the local church around us. And yet, we ought not to underinterpret it either. I can, I can still go on with a notion when it talks about prospering and success. I mean, let's not underinterpret it. Let's recognize God's directions do guide us for a good living. There is a Proverbs kind of notion. You work, hard, remain, you know, work hard, remain faithful to your wife, love your children, train them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, and there probably is a much higher likelihood that there will be blessings, attendant earthly blessings. That's also true. All of this is in that. Let's not inter- under-interpret either. If I was going to put this in terms of applications, then would I, I would just make this pretty basic. God requires very specific obedience. Really does. Yeah, le- wow. Let's not ever pit an Old Testament framework of the law, the commandment, rejoicing in the law, Psalm 1, meditating day and night in the law. Let's not ever pit that against a New Testament framework of grace and forgiveness and the gospel and turn this into, yeah, and so Jesus just swept that all aside and now it's just like, you're cool. Whatever, you're cool. It's all cool. It's all cool. It's not all cool. I read the New Testament. There's commands. Right and left, commands everywhere. Right? And and, and it, Christianity is not a make-it-up-as-you-go-along framework. It's just not. There are, okay, here it is. There are, speci- there are specific things that someone can point to and say, that's wrong. Don't do that. And bluntly, if if you if you had a person in your life that pointed to something and said that's wrong, don't do that, and they can make a biblical case showing you that I mean, biblically rooted application, not like it has to be word for word, but 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 biblical application of biblical truths, and your reaction to it is immediately legalism. Something went wrong. 
because Paul does that. The New Testament does that right and left. Right? I mean, it's, it, it is possible and right to look at specific things in life and say, Christians shouldn't do this. Right? We need to root those things solidly in Scripture. But there have to be some things that you can point to and say, not that. This book of the law, God's expect- expectations of specific Im- obedience. Another application I would put in here is, it, remember the contrast, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed. So that tension right there. Okay. Um, a flip side of that is, is if, if staying on the path, do not turn to the right, do not turn to the left, but like the, uh, the desperation to follow God's guidance through the minefield or through the pathway that navigates between all the toxic waste dump pools, right? That, the, the, the confidence that comes from that, that you can be you can be sure if you're following God's words out. The flip side of that would be if you get off that path, you literally ought to be, you ought to be terrified. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid because you've got my guidance. Yeah, well, what if I don't follow your guidance? Oh, be scared. <laughs> be really afraid. Be very dismayed. Because now you've turned like way off to the right, way off to the left. I got nothing for you. You ought to be terrified. You ought to be terrified and desperate to get back. Good thing there's forgiveness and restoration. See, But, I mean, to step off of his guidance is the most terrifying thing I can imagine. I, I got nothing for you at that point. right? God's guidance is what gives the confidence as you go forward. I want to end out then by looking at a last passage, and I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm, I'm going to call it looking at a passage, but I'm actually going to call it, it's actually passages. So I'm going to look at two. And uh, one is in First Chronicles. I'm just going to move through these quickly. If, if you want to turn with me, great. Um, I recognize, anyway, you know, fingers getting tired and all that, it happens. Um, but First Chronicles 22, I'm going to look with this, at this with you quickly. And it's around verse 11 and following. This is David, and he's charging his son Solomon about building the temple. And you just get this in verse 13. Uh, David is saying to him, you will, be pros- you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for is- Israel. Do you notice how many, de- how many elements are already there? You will prosper if you are careful. Observe the statutes and the rules. Be strong and courageous. There's another element of our pattern. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. And why is it? It's because David has set out for Solomon the supplies, 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, bronze, iron beyond weighing. I mean, extraordinary resources. He's even set out plans. And so here's what's left. You got what you need. You got the plans. You've got the mandate from God. And so verse 16, arise and work. The Lord be with you. You've got that the Lord be with you concept that we picked up or we studied in Deuteronomy. You've got the commands or the guidance that we picked up in Joshua. And it's just kind of the feeling you're getting here is get at it, man. Let's go. Press play. Like jump out of bed. Let's roll. It's time. This is it. This is our moment. Let's go. 
And if you notice, even the, the pattern that came before, I'm not going to outline it, but the earlier sections, you had language like the house of the Lord, the covenant of the Lord, the plans that came from the hand of the Lord. I would just highlight here that this is all God's project. So as much as it's, uh, hey, get out of bed, let's go, it's also, and this is ultimately about God, not David, not about Solomon. It's ultimately God's thing. Why would, would Solomon need at this point the reminder, the encouragement to be strong and courageous? It's overwhelming. I mean, you ever done a, bid, a building project? It's awful. There are people in this room, bless you, there are people in this room that make this their life, building stuff. Can't imagine. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it's just, it's exhausting. And there's a, you know, always going to be this little, oh, that, oh, that went wrong. Oh, no. Okay. So, I mean, but the notion of building a temple of this scale, if, if, you, if you follow out in 1 Kings, the specifications are huge. 1 Kings chapter 7. It took seven years to build it. Huge project. So th- what I hear when I read that, I mean, even it's like, wow, 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver. Wow, what resources? I also, what I also read is like, sigh. <laughs> wow, it's overwhelming. And I, I think the, the point of this particular type of be strong and courageous is in the face of a project that just seems too big, so daunting, you don't know where to start, just kind of like, I don't even want to begin because then I'll have to keep on going. In the face of something like that, be strong, be courageous. This is God's project, not yours. How about a different type of passage? And this is a bit later, 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 32. Very different kind of threat. And, And in this passage, Hezekiah is surrounded by an enemy. We know this context is in um, another like a uh, description of the situation in Isaiah 36. Sennacherib has brought 185,000 soldiers. These are, these are battle-hardened crack soldiers. I mean, they, they know what they're doing. They had already taken 46 strong-walled cities and towns in the areas using battering rams and siege engines. They, had this, they, they were professionals. They'd worked this out. It, we actually have, ironically, a... Um, an, uh, an archaeological record from the hand of Sennacherib, or from the hand of the king who was doing this. And he just says, this is the prism cylinder A, lines 27 to 33. As, quote, as for Hezekiah, the terrifying splendor of my Lord, lordly majesty overcame him. His mercenary troops, which he had brought in to strengthen Jerusalem, his royal city, they had deserted him. He himself, like a caged bird, I shut up in Jerusalem, his capital city. I threw up earthworks against him to enclose him. I set up watch posts and made it known. Let him see my mighty attack. And if you go to the Isaiah record of this in Isaiah 36, he's sending his general or his spokesperson up there to say things like to the people. And he's speaking it in the language that all the people can hear and understand in front of the whole city. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. I'm stronger than their gods. I'm stronger than your God too. You got to imagine him like finger in the face just like that. It's big and loud and blasphemous. 
And this kind of threat has for it the framework of fear. The Solomon and the temple thing, that's the framework of just like, I don't even want to start this project. This one is the framework of, we're going to die. And I mean, to paint the whole picture, you've got to imagine them standing on the walls and they're looking out and 185,000 crack soldiers, siege ramps. And I mean, they know what they're doing. It's like, you're not going to, you guys are toast. It's just a matter of time. They're surrounded. And it's in light of that then that Hezekiah is saying to the people, he's speaking encouragingly to them, verse 7, 2 Chronicles 32, verse 7, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the, Lord, all the horde that is with him. You can see the elements, be strong, don't be afraid. Now watch this though, this is the element that we've seen all the way back from Deuteronomy. There are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. The people took confidence. If you know the story here, I read that earlier from the the prism A cylinder. They pulled out of the dirt somewhere. Um, The really ironic thing about that cylinder or that prism is it it gives this record. I shut him up and now watch my mighty attack. And then it ends. (laughs) It's like, that's the end. There's nothing after that. Oh, that's that's odd. And you go to the Isaiah record and you find out what happened here is he had them surrounded, they're toast, they're going down, and the Lord sent a mighty angel, the angel of the Lord, and destroyed the army. And they get up the next morning and 185,000 are dead. Sennacherib ends up fleeing. He ends up being killed by his own sons in the temple of his God. I mean, it's, the story ends with a lot of drama. See, but in the light of a threat like this, in the light of a threat like this, be strong, courageous, because God is with you. And in both of those cases, if we just reflected on this a little bit, the issue at stake with both of these is bigger and more significant than just... um, like the comforts, well, I said prosper and success, kind of the general comforts or feelings of Solomon or Hezekiah. It's a bigger question than that because in both cases, we're actually linking it into something deeper. It's God's honor, God's purposes, God's plan. Why, why be strong and, and courageous to build the temple? It's not be strong and courageous, build the bigger house and enjoy it. That's not the, st- be strong and courageous to build God's temple. These are God's purposes. And and it's not be strong and courageous to get out there and whatever, win the contest so that you can claim to be the winner. It's, It's be strong and courageous lest you be wiped out by the wicked king. Right? In both cases, it's it's linked into something deeper, which is God's purpose. Another way of saying this is you and I can claim this kind of thing. Be strong and courageous. Not just for us to fulfill our ambitions for how we want life to roll. Like, I, I don't get to claim God to stand behind and be my enabler for the stuff I want. But you and I can claim this kind of confidence, this strength, this courage. God is with us and we go in his name for those things that we can be confident are his purposes. And his intentions. God isn't, is not a genie in the bottle. God doesn't exist for me. I exist for him. 
And as I pursue then his purposes, I pursue it with the confidence that he stands behind that. In fact, keep this going out and, and contrast it with the two sides I said a moment ago. The overwhelm, right? The task that's so big, it seems like I can't possibly achieve it. Or the fear, the task that's so scary or the unknown that I don't know how I possibly can deal with it. And in light of either one of those two cases, the confidence that I could take here is placing myself in the big picture of what God is doing across the ages. If, if I see the turning points or the major moments in the Old Testament, entering the land, building the temple, about to be destroyed, and I just fast forward that up, guess what? It's still ongoing. Here's an overwhelm task. God says, go out and reach the nations and teach them to be my disciples. And that's one of those like, that's so huge. Like eight billion. Okay, start with my neighbors and work towards the eight billion. Yeah, overwhelming. Here's a form of this, the fear that you could feel as you enter into one of those conversations. And just the, oh, what if if this conversation goes into an unknown direction? And the, the... I don't know that I'm up for this quite yet. And, and the answer to stand behind that, to say, just as God worked for his purposes, entering the land, big, overwhelming, scary task. Just as God stood behind it to build the temple, overwhelming, or to defend his people in an existential moment, overwhelming and scary. Here he stands behind you and he says, go, Preach the gospel, speak my word, make make disciples. Do you remember the rest of the phrase in there? Because I am with you. All authority has been given to me and I am with you. Do it. And for then a big open-ended and scary thing, we have together with us the God who enables this leaves me, though, with one more open-ended question. I've already, I've just been piling up open, open-ended questions, and I've got to pay my bills now. Because the, the initial open-ended question I asked was just, how is it even possible for a righteous God to dwell with his people? That's a hard one. And the second open-ended question, as we were working through Joshua and j- just the, the question of, you know, let God's standards be your guidance— An open-ended question is there is, I can't really, I mean, to obey God's law perfectly and not turn to the right hand or to the left, who's got that one? I don't. So the notion that I would do all that he told me to do without any variance, not going to succeed in that. And the final open-ended question that we've got right here, it was actually the question I opened with at the beginning of our, our time, was just, you know, to say to someone, be strong, be courageous, when they're not feeling it. Not, 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 that does not much of a solution make. And so uh, to finish this out or tie these pieces together, we've got to take this thread and move it across to the New Testament. And we'll notice here that the New Testament actually is a critical foundation for everything we've just done here. The New Testament quotes our passages. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's drawn right out of the passages we've been reading. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I can make a case that that's even Christ-specific. But in any case, the confidence that you and I have as New Testament believers, 
is that Jesus is with us, that the Spirit is with us, Jesus' representative. Or watch how Ephesians will do this. Ephesians chapter 6, finally, be strong. Be strong, you know, not, not my, your therapist sitting across from you when you're worn out and you're, you're, you're done, you're toast, you're finished. Be strong. How about this? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. God offers you, you hear this? God offers you the backing of omnipotence. Like, how strong is the Lord and how strong is the strength of his might? Yeah, that. Be strong in that. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened. You hear that passive? Be strengthened. It's not just like a be strong in and of yourself, but like a receive strength. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The strength you need is Jesus' grace. Ephesians 3, according to the riches of his glory, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your being, inner being. Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Philippians 4, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He, it's not just, this is not just like, I can do anything. Leave out the last phrase. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. For the sake of Christ, Paul says, I'm content with whatever persecutions I face. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's grace that makes that possible. Second Timothy 4 even links this to the proclamation of the gospel. So the Lord stood by me and strengthened me that the message might be fully proclaimed. And the point of all of this is that the actual rooting of the strength, it's Jesus, it's Christ. Remember my earlier questions, in what sense can God be with us if he's a holy God? How, how do I just say, like, here I am, and then God stands beside me. Okay, you, you have, you have a, a deep link on that. What does Jesus refer, God with us? I mean, the notion that I am with you and I go with you, and then we have the story of a person who entered into humanity, took human flesh, walked among people, and yes, through the Spirit, remains among us. God with us, Emmanuel. How can you really obey all of God's commands, turning never to the right hand or to the left? Let me help you out. You can't. But the story of a person who did and then calls you to follow him and offers you grace to enable you to do it? How much does it really help to tell a weak person to be strong? Well, it does when they have the enabling of Christ, the gospel, and the spirit to do what they can't do, but what he does in them. You've got all kinds of cheap ways then entering into this new year that people would call you to, to you know, make yourself a new you. It is one of my favorite, you know, tomorrow, one of my favorites. Tomorrow brings a new you with no problems in it. 2023 is fresh. It's not been stained. I mean, no, I brought me into it. <laughs> so I bring me and my problems, right? It's just a continuation of what's already going on. I already fell short of my aspirations. Turning the calendar doesn't change that. How about something richer and legitimate inspiration? How about rooting it in the gospel? A God who already knows about your failures. He knows it all. And he still loves you. 
How about a Jesus who died to take care of your sins? The sins of 2022, Jesus paid for those. And the sins of 23. And part of the genius, no, actually the genius of the gospel, is that it's not a mere call to self-improvement. Like, make yourself a better you. But the gospel is an open acknowledgement that you can't do this thing and you haven't done this thing. You've blown it. There we go. We just laid it up. Okay, so you're, you're not enough. There we go. But Jesus did this thing for you. And he calls you now to follow him in doing it. And the richness then of the gospel is that we turn to him and we say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I got nothing. I bring nothing to this equation. I walk up. Here's what I have to offer in this negotiation. Sins. Got lots of that. Failures. Got more of that too. Here you go. I'll pile it on the table. There's what I have to offer. Okay, now let's negotiate. But see, the, the betterment of this framework is not the, the, the metaphor of the gym coach standing over, over you, yelling you to stop being a sissy and get up and get this thing done. You can do this. You're a beast. Come on. You got it within you. Call up the inner strength. It's not the way that the gospel comes to you. It's the love of a Savior who went before you, who did it all perfectly. And then he says, come, follow me. I died for those sins. Come, follow me. And then he promises to walk with you and to help you do what you absolutely cannot do. You you can't do 23. You just can't do it. And he calls you and he says, I'll walk with you. Brother, sister, friend, be strong and courageous this next year in the strength that God gives, in the grace that Jesus Christ offers, in the grace that the gospel calls you to do. And do that in the light of all of those that came before. People entering into a land full of adversaries to conquer foes they cannot conquer. A scraggly little band of people. They're going to take the land. Building a temple. Surrounded by 185,000 Assyrians. Okay, and here we go next. Here we are. Taking the gospel to the nations. Serving God faithfully in 23. And in the light of overwhelming and scary odds, you go live for the Lord this next year. You can't do it. Except God offers you grace and strength. Be strong and courageous. Live for God in this coming year. You have friends and neighbors. Speaking openly about your faith doesn't exactly win you points. Be strong and courageous. You might be called to minister in this church body in ways that really stretch you outside of your comfort zone. You might get asked to do things you don't really feel super good at, and you're kind of like, I don't really do that. Okay, all right. You might have sins that have beguiled you for years, and they're just there. And somewhere in there, you kind of like came to terms with them, but they, they live in your life like poisonous weeds, and they suck the life out of you. And you call the truce with them, but they're just there, and it stinks. Stop cowering in front of the sins that Jesus already conquered. He already killed those sins for you. Stop cowering in front of that sin. I can't uproot it. Yeah, I know that. 
be strong and courageous, he can. Through the power of the gospel, say no. Stop waiting until you know the perfect way to present the gospel, until you have all the answers figured out, and then I'll tell my neighbors. Uh, no. He, he called broken people like us to testify for him. Speak that word. Turn that conversation that direction. And stop saying that you can't do this or that to build up the Christ's body. It's him building up the body, not you. It's not about you. <laughs> it's just like absolutely not about you. But you have a role. And in the power of the gospel, do what he calls you to do. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. You have God with you. Be strong, my friends. Be courageous. God's purposes are big enough and his grace is sufficient. He goes.